wonder if you've ever been so upset that you just couldn't pray. You wanted to pray. Perhaps you tried to pray. You asked other people to pray for you. But in the end, all that you could do yourself was come home from the office or put down the phone or leave the hospital and curl up under a blanket and groan. I've had moments like that, moments of great disappointment, periods of grief, times when I felt rejected or unloved, struggles with guilt and shame, all these different times where I couldn't seem to get anything out of my mouth in prayer. I'm sure most of you have experienced times like that when you can't eat, when you don't seem to be able even to think, when you can't communicate, perhaps when you can't sleep. But the most challenging thing of all is when you need most to be able to offer your heart up in prayer to God, you seem not to be able to squeeze even a word out in prayer. I wonder if you've ever felt that or been there. I just want you to take a moment and see if you can remember a time like that in your life. Just think about it. Picture it in your mind. Let it be the backdrop for what we're going to hear tonight hope you thought of something. If not, know that the day will come, if it hasn't yet come, when you will be melted like a puddle on the ground. And in that day, or as many of you think of days that have gone by when you couldn't even pray, know this. When you are unable to pray, the Bible says that God prays for you. When you are unable to pray, the Holy Spirit Voices, cries on your behalf that you cannot voice yourself. When we don't know how to pray, the Spirit Himself, Romans 8.26, helps our weakness. I want you to read about it with me. And I want to back up and begin reading in verse 22. Paul writes, We know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, But the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Did you hear the wonderful echo in those verses? I hope you heard it. Paul says, not only does the whole creation groan, verse 22, under the weight of our sin, and not only do we ourselves groan, Verse 23, but in the same way, verse 26, the Spirit of the living God groans on our behalf. The Spirit of God groans for us in prayer when we find ourselves at a loss for words. This is wonderful news that we find here in verse 26. The Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. 
Now some folks read verse 26 and they can hardly believe it's true. They say to themselves, groanings? Groanings? That hardly seems worthy of the God of the universe. Surely the Lord of all creation, who never becomes weak, who never becomes tired, doesn't actually groan. And so they say these verses must just be metaphorical. They must mean something other than what they actually say. God surely doesn't groan. To which I respond, on the contrary, the very fact that the Spirit groans in verse 26 actually helps us understand His divine nature. Let me explain to you. I want you to see in this verse, first of all, the Spirit's personhood. That the Spirit is a a person. A lot of folks, as you know, wrongly conceive of the Spirit as an it, not a he. They conceive of the Spirit as sort of a force that blows through the room like a storm and kind of stirs us up. Now, that, that actually is an unworthy concept of God, but that's, that's the concept that lots of people have. And thinking of the Spirit as an it, as a force that blows through the room, they then translate that wrong view of the Spirit over into the life of prayer and meditation. And so what you have now in a lot of Christian circles is a form of Eastern mysticism that's kind of crept into the church. And people are told that if they could just breathe deeply and clear their minds, then the spirit or the spiritual force would then be able to breathe through their cleared out minds and take control of their lives. But that's not what we find at all here in verse 26, is it? Impersonal forces, it's, if you will, don't groan, do they? Only a personal spirit who has emotions and who has compassion would actually be able to groan on our behalf. And so we're reminded here in this verse that the spirit who groans for us is a he, not an it. The spirit is a person. But then piggybacking onto that, we're also reminded that What the Spirit loves to do is not to sort of swoop in and take control of a cleared out and empty mind. What the Spirit loves to do rather is to come into a mind and a heart that is full of cares. That is just weighed down with cares. He loves to come into the the heart that is overflowing with difficulty and make sense of it all. Not the empty heart, but the heart that's so full that it can't even utter prayers. That's the heart and the mind that the Spirit loves to come to. He loves to come to us when our hearts are so weighed down with heavy burdens that we can't pray at all. And He loves to come and do our praying for us. And so here in verse 26 we see not only the the Spirit's personhood, but I think we see His love for us. For isn't one of the greatest signs of love that we rejoice with those who rejoice, Romans 12, 15, and that we mourn with those who mourn? Isn't that love? And if that's love, what can we say about a spirit who groans with those who groan? What we have to say is he must love us immensely if he's willing to groan with us. And the very word there, groanings, hints at his love, doesn't it? Think for a moment about the hospital chaplain. Here's a fellow who spends his days going from room to room, asking sick people and asking hurting families if he can pray for them. And it's actually a very good service that he renders if he really knows Jesus and points people to Jesus. 
But he does it all day long, every day, five days a week, and so it becomes his routine. In other words, he's seen a thousand different little old ladies with tubes going into their noses. And so, though he may go to those ladies and pray for them, and he may pray for them sincerely, he probably doesn't very often groan. But imagine if the little old lady with the tubes going into her noses is his mother or his wife. Then, because he loves the woman for whom he is interceding, the quality of his prayer will be completely different. Then he'll groan. Then there will be added to his prayers an element of tenderness and earnestness and sympathy. The chaplain groans over the patient that he loves. And the same is true of the Spirit. The Spirit, in other words, doesn't just intercede for us because that's his designated role within the Trinity. The Spirit doesn't just intercede for us because it's his job description. Now, if the verse simply said the Spirit Himself intercedes for us, we might wonder if He just did it because He's supposed to, because it's His duty. But verse 26 takes us a step beyond duty, doesn't it? Verse 26 takes us into the realm of love. It says the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings. Interpretation, the Spirit intercedes for us with great feeling, with great tenderness, with great compassion, with great Love, the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings. He loves us. But what can we say about the groanings themselves? What what are the content of the Spirit's groanings? What is the content of His intercession for us? What does He say or what does He not say? As a sort of preliminary sidebar answer to that question, we need to say, first of all, that Romans 8.26 does not refer to the gift of tongues. Now we could talk at another time or even after the service tonight about what the Bible says about that issue. But be assured of this. If we were to have that discussion, we wouldn't turn to Romans 8.26 to get the answer. We would have to look elsewhere. Because the very idea of tongues denotes language. And Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 14 that the language of tongues to be appropriate has to be interpreted. But here in Romans 8, we're not dealing with language, are we? Here in Romans 8, we're dealing with groanings. Here in Romans 8, we're not dealing with words. We're dealing with the cries of the Spirit that are, verse 26, too deep for words. So just off the bat, when we think about what it means that the Spirit groans for us, let's not be confused. Let's not allow the fact that some people read this verse and immediately apply it to the gift of tongues to cause us to miss the main point of the verse. This is not a passage about miraculous gifts that apply only to a few of God's people. This is a promise that is applicable to all of God's children. The Spirit Himself intercedes for all of us with groanings too deep for words. So again, I ask, what kind of groanings? What is actually happening when the Spirit intercedes for us when he groans on our behalf. Let's observe just a couple of important things. First, very simply, notice that the Spirit groans for us. He groans for us. He groans, in other words, on our behalf or in our stead. He is like an advocate in a court of law who knows better than we do what needs to be said and who knows how to say it and when to say it, and to whom to say it. 
And like an attorney, the Spirit not only groans for us and that He groans on our behalf, but He groans for us, not against us. No one wants an attorney who's going to go into the courtroom and argue against them, right? And that's the point here. The Spirit argues for us. The Spirit intercedes for us. He prays for us, not against us. He has our best interest in mind. In other words, the Spirit never misuses His influence. He never usurps His opportunity to represent us at God's throne in order to sabotage us. You think, well, you don't have to say that. We all know that. But sometimes we we get this idea in our mind, God is out to get me. No, not at all. The Spirit, in other words, when He groans on your behalf, when He prays on your behalf, doesn't say to God things like, can you believe that she's curled up on the couch over that little thing that her boss said? Can you believe this, God? What a crybaby. Let's teach her a lesson. No. That's not the way the Spirit talks. That's not the way the Spirit groans. The Spirit wants to help you. If you are God's child by faith in Jesus, God is not out to get you. And that means that even if you are at a loss for words because you are overreacting or because you are pouting, even then the Spirit intercedes for you with your best interest in mind. He doesn't turn against you. And while it is true that what He thinks is in your best interest may vastly differ from what you think is in your best interest, while it is true that God's plan for you and the Spirit's prayers for you may sometimes include discipline, The Spirit does not pray for discipline, nor does God send discipline down with a crooked smile. The Spirit prays for discipline and God sends it down with groanings. The Spirit Himself, Paul says, intercedes for us, not against us. And I think we can also say that the Spirit intercedes in us. He intercedes in us. Back in verse 23, we read that having the first fruits of the Spirit, we ourselves groan. In other words, the Spirit inside us is the reason why we groan. Having gotten a taste because of the Spirit's presence in our lives, having gotten a taste of the blessings that are to come, we long, we groan to be set free from our present sin and suffering. Having gotten a taste through the Spirit's presence in our lives of the good things that are to come, we long for the redemption of our bodies. We groan in the meantime as we face trials and difficulties in this present time. So Paul says in verse 23 that we groan precisely because the Spirit is in us. And then it seems to me that verse 26 carries that idea a step further and actually explains it. Verse 26 informs us that our groaning is not only brought on by the Spirit, but our groaning is actually done by the Spirit. The Spirit is the one doing the groaning. Now, that's not to say that all of our groaning is done by the Spirit. For we said last week that a great deal of our groaning is simply grumbling and complaining and sin. But when we groan in a godly way, That is, when we groan for eternal relief, when we realize that this world does not have final answers for us, when we find ourselves at a loss for words because we're looking forward to the relief that God has for us, those groans, though they may be the result of your lungs pushing air over your vocal cords, those groans actually somehow are 
the Spirit expressing His thoughts and His desires through your life. The groans that you groan when you groan rightly are your groans, verse 23, but somehow they're also the Spirit's groans as well. He is groaning in you. So when you're curled up in a fetal position and you don't know what to do, when your face is buried in your hands and you don't know how to pray, when you can't get a single word of prayer to come out of your mouth and all you can do is groan to God, remember this. Your groans, in a very peculiar way, are the voice of the Spirit coming out of your life. Right then, in the moment where all words are gone, the Spirit is praying for you and He's praying in you and He's praying through you. His groaning that is coming from your mouth is what God hears. It is His groaning coming through your mouth. Now then, we've given ourselves sort of a mental picture of the invisible Spirit loving us from verse 26. We've tried to put words to what it means that the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Now let's see if we can learn anything about ourselves from these verses. Having learned about the Spirit and His groanings, what can we learn about ourselves? Specifically, let's ask this. Why does the Spirit intercede for us? Why does He intercede for us? The most important and the most obvious answer, which we have already said, is because He loves us. He loves us and wants our good. But we also need to note there in verse 26 that the Spirit intercedes for us also on account of something in us, namely our weakness. The Spirit intercedes for us because of our weakness. More specifically, the Spirit intercedes for us because we do not know how to pray as we should. What does that mean? We do not know how to pray as we should. Let me make a couple of suggestions First, as we've been saying, sometimes we don't know how to pray as we should in that we have no words. We have no words. Sometimes, in other words, our emotions are so shot or our bodies are so overwhelmed with pain or our hearts are so full that we can't even think straight, much less offer any kind of coherent prayer to God. We don't know how to pray sometimes in that we have no words. I mentioned a couple of weeks back a 14-year-old girl, Emily Stauffer, a pastor's daughter in Alberta, Canada, who was murdered as she walked on a wooded path near her home. And I read to you then the excerpt, one of the excerpts from the funeral sermon that was preached by her father. And I want to read part of it again to you. Among the, the many noteworthy things that he said as he buried his daughter He said something that relates directly to Romans 8.26. When Emily's death was confirmed on Saturday night, I was shocked and bewildered. All I could pray was, Oh Lord, help, help, help. All I could pray, he says, was, Oh Lord, help, help, help. Five words was all that he could eke out before he crossed over into those groanings that are too deep for words. But don't you know that the Spirit took those five 
one-syllable words and the groans that followed them and used them like helium balloons. Don't you know that the Spirit took those little words and inserted into them notes to the Heavenly Father that were much more detailed than anything Terry Stauffer could have imagined or thought of in those dark moments. Don't you believe that the Spirit took those three desperate helps and completed His sentence for Him? O oh Lord, help me forgive whoever did this. O oh Lord, help me not to doubt Your goodness. O oh Lord, help some of Emily's friends to come to faith in Christ through this tragedy. And don't you know that the Spirit probably prayed a hundred other things as Emily's parents groaned in those days and as they continue to do so. There's no telling what the Spirit accomplished through Terry Stauffer's five one-syllable words and his groanings. Nor is there any telling what the Spirit may have accomplished on that trail that Saturday afternoon as Emily groaned out her last breaths of desperation to the Lord. And there's no telling what God may accomplish as the Spirit intercedes for you with groanings that are so often too deep for words. So sometimes the Spirit intercedes for us. Sometimes we don't know how to pray because we have no words. And sometimes we don't know how to pray and the Spirit intercedes for us because we have no wisdom. No wisdom. In other words, sometimes we don't know how to pray as we should because our minds are too full and our hearts are too wounded to make sense of anything. But other times, we may be very clear-headed and still not know how to pray as we should. Sometimes we groan because a decision needs to be made and we just don't know what's best. Should I take the job or not? Should she have the surgery or not? We're not always sure, are we? And in situations like that, you may find yourself praying, Lord, I don't know what to do. I'm not even sure what to ask, God. And if you get to the place where you don't know what to ask, remember that though you may not know what to ask, the Spirit always does. So keep seeking the Lord's face. Keep admitting, I don't know how to pray as I should. And trust that the Spirit will intercede for you with unspoken prayers that will be right on target. Maybe for you, though, the decision or the prayer is, is not about a decision. It's not a decision that needs to be prayed about. It's a person that needs to be prayed about. And you kneel down beside your bed to pray for him, but his life is such a mess and things are so heartbreaking that you're not even sure where to begin praying. Should you pray that God would bless him? so that he might taste and see that the Lord is good and come to Jesus? Or should you pray that God would twist his ankle so that he ends up on his backside and is forced to look up? You're not sure. And you say to yourself, what is it going to take to wake him up? And you begin to pray, Lord, do whatever it takes to get his attention. But then you stop because that seems a little bit scary, doesn't it? And then you say to yourself, what if God does it? And what if it's a lot worse than even I can imagine? And you find yourself going back to Romans 8.26 and saying, Lord, I don't know how to pray for Him. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to ask. And in that moment, 
Though you do not know how to pray as you should, the Spirit does. And He will take your uncertainty and He will take your heartache and He will take your unintelligible groanings over a wayward child or friend and He will turn them into something beautiful. The Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Now a final question. Are we sure that God will answer? Are we sure that God will answer? Now the Sunday school answer that all of us would rightly give is, yes, of course God will answer. God answers our prayers, and especially He answers the Holy Spirit's prayers, of course. And that's the right answer, and we would say, shouldn't that be good enough? Well, in one sense it is. But if you look ahead to verse 27, you'll find that Paul isn't satisfied with that answer. Paul actually begins giving reasons why God answers the Spirit's prayers. It's almost as though he's trying to reassure us that God will answer. And why would he need to reassure us? Well, quite simply because we're all so prone to doubt and to fear. And we wonder in our minds sometimes, is God really going to be able to discern anything intelligible out of all this sobbing that I'm trying to do? I don't even understand myself. Is God going to hear this and make sense out of it? Or maybe we ask ourselves, am I even praying here? Or am I just moaning? Or we may say to ourselves, aren't we supposed to be specific in prayer? If all I can say is, oh Lord, help, help, help. Is that going to get it? Does that count? Is God going to answer such vague prayer? All those doubts and many more may fill our minds when we're bent double in agony or when we're confused about how to pray. So Paul reassures us. Will God answer my groans? Absolutely, Paul says. And then he says, I'll give you three reasons why God will answer your groans. First, God will answer your groans because God knows your heart. God knows your heart. You may wonder if you can piece together or if God can piece together anything that makes sense out of all your wordless groaning. But remember whom you're not talking to. You are not talking to God who searches the hearts. Verse 27a. You are not talking to, you are groaning to the Heavenly Father who, Matthew 6, 8, knows what you need before you ask Him. You are not talking to the God about whom David said, even before there's a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. Psalm 139.4 And Paul now in verse 27 is telling us that God knows it all even when there's no word to be formed on our tongue. Toby had the same roommate, Kim, for five years in college. And after they lived together for so long, and throwing in a little bit of women's intuition as well, I think, the two of them could almost complete one another's sentences. And when they get together to this day, they can still do it. So I'm sitting here struggling to try to figure out what in the world Toby is talking about. And Kim is over next to me nodding her head and inserting the right words that Toby's trying to come up with when she can't think of the word to use. And what Paul is saying here is that God does the same, only on a whole different level. He knows you like no one else knows you. He knows you better than you know yourself. 
And therefore, He knows what you are saying even when you can't get the whole thought out. And He knows what you are saying, especially, says Paul, when nothing comes out at all. He searches the hearts. So God answers our prayers because He knows our hearts. But He also is able to answer our prayers, our groanings, because He knows the Spirit's mind. Remember when the words don't come that the Spirit intercedes for you. But when the Spirit intercedes for you, He doesn't intercede by coming and inserting words into your mouth. Rather, He comes and in a manner of speaking, inhabits your groanings. He groans for you. He groans with you. He groans in you and through you. And how can God understand what the Spirit is saying when the Spirit is not actually saying anything? Well, because he who searches the hearts knows, verse 27b, what the mind of the Spirit is. The Father and the Spirit are so close, in other words, that they don't need words in order to communicate with one another. The Father already knows what the Spirit is thinking. And that's good news for us. That means there's no deficiency when all our prayers are is a big heap of groans. Because the groans are the groans of the Spirit. And God knows the mind of the Spirit. God knows exactly what the Spirit is saying, even when the Spirit doesn't say anything. How can you be sure that God will hear your prayers, your unintelligible groanings? Because God knows your heart. And because God knows the Spirit's mind who is groaning in you. And thirdly, we know God will answer our prayers because God knows His own will. That's what Paul says at the end of verse 27, isn't it? The Spirit intercedes for the saint according to the will of God. The Spirit knows what the Father's will is for us. The Spirit knows what is best. So when we find ourselves only able to groan out a few words in prayer, Oh Lord, help, 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 if that's all we can say, And if we can't say anything at all, we're actually in pretty good shape. We're actually in very good shape. Because we don't know how to pray as we should. We don't always know what the will of God is for our lives. But the Spirit does. He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So that if you know not what to pray, if you don't say anything, if all you do is groan, the will of God is being presented by the Spirit to the Father on your behalf. Kind of makes you want to be silent a little more often, doesn't it? Does the Father want us to pray and to use intelligible, well-thought-out words when we pray? Of course He does. Does He want us to learn how to pray better? How to pray more specifically? You bet. Does He want us to study His Word so that we can learn more and more how to pray as we should? Absolutely. When the disciples came to Jesus in Luke 11 and said, Lord, teach us how to pray. He didn't say to them, don't worry about that. The Spirit will do that for you. He taught them to pray. He modeled for them the kinds of words and the kinds of requests that they should bring to God in prayer. He gave them what we call the Lord's Prayer. So God does want us to know how to pray as we should. But these two verses remind us that even the most seasoned saints will sometimes be at a loss for words. 
And Paul reminds us, therefore, that God's answers do not ultimately depend on how well we pray. God's answers ultimately depend on a Father in heaven who knows what we need before we ask Him. God's answers depend on a Spirit who intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And God's answers depend on Jesus the Son who intervened for us at the cross so that we might be forgiven and so that we might be welcome. Hebrews 4.16 to draw near with confidence to the throne of grace and expect to find grace to help in our time of need. Make sure that you do that. Make sure that you draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, whether you know what to say or not.